Welcome back to another episode of Cultivating Change, everyone. I'm your host, Alex Corey. Thank you for sharing some of your precious time with me. Today's guest is a fellow personal trainer, primal health coach method, and pioneer in his own methodologies of the warrior monk method and the strong tribe method. This is Lucas Hale. Lucas is the co-creator at the strong tribe and the owner and CEO at the warrior monk. And like myself, he believes that you should be able to guess or intuit someone's philosophy based off of how they show up in the world and their actions. And also like myself, uh, beat his body down quite a bit in his twenties in pursuit of optimal fitness and now has found slightly more regenerative uh, regeneration methods and a more sustainable approach to longevity for his family and imbuing those core values in yoga and in the martial arts. And we get into uh, a lot of my tiptoeing into the, the martial arts with all of the different injuries and physical imbalances that uh, most people come into a martial arts and defensive and combative arts practice with. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation and all of its ducks and weaves with Lucas Hale of the Warrior Monk Method and the Strong Tribe Method. Enjoy. I uh, am kind of following what you do, just obviously through Facebook and stuff like that. Like I said, I think we we kind of connected mostly through the primal blueprint, right? Yes. That, that kind of stuff. And it's just kind of interesting to see the the dynamics of the different people in that group. Um, from the diehards to the people that seem to kind of only join just to, to be the opposite, you know, like the devil's advocate. Kind the of contrarians. Thing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and just the different aspects that people take off. We, like we all have the same fundamental course and pe different people's take on it based off of their experience and their application of either the diet protocol or like the extreme weight loss in the diet protocol or more the movement or the circadian rhythm and lifestyle. Everyone has their own piece of it. They really find change their life and try to, um, maybe instill habits around that on that side. And I'm definitely more on the, probably more like you on the, um, focus on the movement side of it and the embodied lifestyle. And I'm sure we both do the nutrition aspect, but yeah, your, your Facebook page is fantastic. So you are the CEO of warrior monk. Is that accurate? Yeah. And then co-creator of strong tribe. Yeah. Great names. So yeah. Um, it's funny enough, the, the warrior monk was just more of a persona that my buddy, who actually is my business partner in the Strong Trap, gave me. Um, because so he and I actually, we met up when we were both personal trainers at a gym. And for a long time, personal training, I mean, that was my career for quite a few years. And then he and I were both strongman competitors. Actually, we did strongman powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting. And over the course of about 10 years, I pretty much the entirety of my 20s, I just beat my body to crap, essentially. And I was like, okay, I, I got to be able to move. Like, I can't, I can't barely get down on the ground, you know, like, so much stuff was happening. And my wife was pregnant with our son. And I got the opportunity to be able to stay with home with him. And I was like, well, I literally like I was I was that guy. I couldn't even get down on the ground without going, oh, ooh, 
you know, like that kind of thing. So I was like, let's just try some yoga, you know, and then the physical aspect of yoga led me down a whole rabbit hole of philosophies and total dietary and lifestyle changes. And he just kind of giggled him one day. It was just like, you're like the warrior monk because, you know, I still, I'm still full of a lot more fire than, you know, than I, uh, want to be sometimes, you know, cause I still do a little bit more than I, I probably should. Like now I'm into jujitsu and I do judo and I have yoga and then I still do lift from time to time. Right. So I have all these, like you mentioned, I have all these modalities that I utilize and, and so he just coined that frame, you know, that name for me. I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to use that. So that's just kind of the persona that I took on and, so that's what I kind of utilize for mostly my yoga. Um, and I'm actually currently trying to write a book. It's been a long road project yeah. for me. Uh, and uh, so that's what I'm going to utilize that for. And then the strong tribe is he and I, um, we both left personal training. Uh, funny enough, the name personal training and the way that it's utilized in gym atmospheres, it's all about like you would think it would be what you know so individually you said you know everyone's experiences and stuff like that are different so like the perspectives are different on how people take things but in personal training we're so focused on just the physical body that really you can't make a lot of change you know because i i just got so like bogged down in the you know you're coming to me twice a week for an hour and then in you know four weeks you're complaining because you haven't seen results I'm like, well, what are you doing for the rest of the, the days like like i've actually had clients come to me in the gym complaining about the fact that they haven't lost weight whenever they literally have mcdonald's cups in their hands like walking into the gym for me and i'm like i can't help you and so i've kind of shifted my mentality of just that to an overall embodied you know lifestyle change and at this point because i don't have to I don't see them reciprocating like an investment. I don't even take clients on. It's like, a co-creation. Do it. Yeah, they have to be fully invested as much as you are in their success. Yeah. So that's yeah, an interesting road the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that's the trend for quite a few uh, people who want to make an impact on others' health and want to help. I was a personal trainer for couple of years and my body type and my metabolism is just not conducive to it. Like I, it's easy for me to run myself into the ground. And like you said, the very minute, the slice of time that you get to see your clients is, and even if you have an app based program and you're making them check in, even if it's an everyday thing, um, the movement by itself isolated from all other aspects of lifestyle uh, is fairly limiting and yeah, the results unless people are driving themselves into the ground is uh, slightly disappointing for, for most people. So I think a lot of people make the jump to health coaching or more broad spectrum holistic health modalities because that's where the, the longevity, the sustainability and, and the long-term change usually comes from in my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I mean, that's, it also, generally speaking, all health and you know health things start with yourself like i 
am pretty much considered a yogi today because I started yoga because I couldn't move. I started, you know, really getting into health and wellness because I wanted to be healthy and I wanted to make that change and things like that. And really, as much as that is great for the career aspect, like, okay, we we saw the transformation. We started, you know, we want to share that. It's now us that needs to, like, reach the people that should start before all that has happens and we're we're still in a uh stage in i think humanity that that's still a few years off i think you know we're we're still trying to reach people that you know i, I worked for eh, a couple of years for a, a senior center uh where i trained older individuals and they would come to me set at 75 saying yeah my doctor said i need to to do some working out so I can get healthy. I'm like, you're like 50 years a little late. Like I can help you. Don't go get me wrong. But like, we need to start reaching these people before, you know, like, you know, like I want to get down and play with my grandkids. You're 75 now. And like, you've had two knee surgeries, two hip surgeries. Like I can get you there, but we, we need to start reaching the people when they're 40 versus, yeah. You know, to start these things, because while it's good that you do it, you start wherever you can and wherever you are to make the biggest amount of change. I've discovered where you got to start reaching people before they get there and making an embodied lifestyle of, well, I do meditate every day. It doesn't seem to do anything. Well, that's because you've been meditating every day for the, your entire life and you're just not as stressed. <laughs> so congratulations. What is the, so what I heard was, and I agree that most people make lifestyle changes, movement changes out of almost desperation. Um, something dramatic happens in their life where they realize that they're not going to be able to do something important to them. So they come to it out of a state of uh, usually desperation. Is there anything that you found to uh, that inspire change within yourself or to inspire change within someone else? prior to the desperate state, almost out of a state of pure inspiration and wanting to maintain mobility or be able to play with their grandkids, what what can help someone get there prior to the lack of when they still have full faculties? The biggest thing that I've seen that's in my personal experience has been to focus on people's values. Mm. Um, when we started the Strong Tribe, we actually did a lot of work specifically on developing a value system, a life philosophy, and a moral code. Because people, what I've seen is people seem to think they have good values or think they live a good life. You know, like, are you a good person? Of course. Like, who's going to say no? I mean, not a lot of people are going to be like, no, I'm not a good person. Like, I... You know, like, what do you value? Well, I value family. Well, that's cool. You wait, you work 100 hours a week and then you go straight to sleep and then you yell at your kids whenever they irritate you because you haven't slept in three days. And it's so like people say the words, but no one really focuses on the actual, like, utilizing those values and living the values. And so what we found is starting there, making people write them down. What do you really value in working backwards? Because just like you said, 
what do you value? Okay, you value family at the age of 30? Great. Well, we're going to get you moving. We're going to make sure that you take a rest and relaxation days so you can spend time with your family. We're going to make sure that you have a good meditation practice and, you know, you're eating healthy so you can stay here longer for your family. And we're going to make sure that you're moving well. So whenever you do age, your grandkids, you get to crawl around with them just like you're doing with your kids because you've already been actively, you know, living. And that's just one value. What else do you value? Okay, step two, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to work backwards and we're going to figure out how to live that value. And that's what we found has been the biggest uh, thing. I mean, one of the clients actually I just worked with, she came to me specifically wanting to work on a physical uh, ailment, like a physical fitness goal. Mm -hmm. And by the time we were done in 12 weeks, we weren't even talking about physical fitness. Like we were talking about like her taking days off and her stressing over the little things and, Mm -hmm. you know, different things like that. And it's just amazing that like, if you can get people to finally just look at it just for a second, what are you valuing? And what are you showing that you value with your actions? How much change you can actually create? Yeah, that's, that's a huge thing you said is, and that's embodied philosophy, right? Is, you, I should be, or I like to be able to tell what a person values from how they show up in the world and what they do and how they present themselves. Sort of backwards engineer the value based off of of what they're doing instead of the other way around, which is a, can be a lot of talk, but it's it can be difficult for a lot of people who just have crazy jobs, kids, you know, it's just a full life where they. They do actually mentally or philosophically value something, but they just haven't figured out how to implement it in their carve out the time for it, right? Time, everyone has the same amount of time. So it's always priorities, which is a synonym for value. So is there any any little um, trick or tip that, that you've come across in your clientele to gently show them what time they're spending or um, what they say they want to prioritize and what they are prioritizing. Like, is there a journal or a log or how do you do a review with someone just so they can see that themselves? Um, well, that's still something that everyone really struggles with is right. I, you know, like, but the biggest thing that we've seen is to be able to reflect. Mm-hmm. Um, reflection is a big thing, not necessarily looking back or, you know, regretting something but to actually analyze what's happening. And we actually have a log that we give our clients and it's a scale one to 10 and there's 10 different um, things that you scale. And so it's a hundred points that you get a day essentially. And then there's a note section. And we ask you once a week, take 10 minutes and look at your week and say, okay, well today was a 70% day, right? But this next Thursday was a 60. What did I do last Thursday? Well, how, how did I do better then? And so instead of just like having a free write journal or just a food log or a fitness log, like you're actually making it analytical and you can see the numbers, you know, like today was a 90. That was great. But two days ago was a 60. What did I eat? Right. What did, how did I sleep? Like, what was I doing? Like, did I get my meditation in? What was I thinking about whenever I did my meditation? Like, 
know, what kind of movement did I do? You know, all those kinds of things. And it's, that's really helpful. Uh, but at the end of the day, people do have to make choices and it's hard because there's so much outside influence and we are an outside influence right. in, a, in a sense, you know, as coaches. So it's hard to be like, don't listen to outside influences because I am an outside influence, but trying to get it more intrinsic is also very important that I've seen. It's just being like, okay, you say you want more time, whatever. Like we all have to have money to live. That's the society we live in. But how much money do you need and how much, you know, time are you willing to give up to get the amount of money that you need? Like, for example, I said, I actually get the, the privilege to stay home with my son because my wife makes enough money for me to be able to do that. And then I have my side jobs to keep me, you know, you know, get a little bit of extra, but, but even like some people, depending on that, that salary range, there's still two, two, uh, two household incomes, like there are two in- income households, even like whenever it's not really necessary. You know, like how much is too much? And if you say, like for me, I don't think I could ever get a job again because mm-hmm. I know now that I could stay home. So if my son's like, no, dad, don't go. I can't say, sorry, I have to go to work because I don't have to. I'm choosing to go to work, you know? And if you're working overtime, if you're making overtime to make ends meet, that's different. But if you're working overtime because you just want a little extra money, and your son's like, stay home. And you're like, no, have to go to work. But you, do you? Like, those are the little things that you have to really look at. And mm. it's all about reflecting back. And you just have to keep getting better. I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect. I do, you know, everyone has those things. And just like you said, it's all about the experience and what you've you've learned up to this point. You know, if you're 35, 40 years old and you're trying to make these changes, you've been ingrained since mm-hmm. you were a child before you even knew what anything was to act a certain way and to you know do all these things and so it's it's a long road you got there up to the point you decide you want to change that's all the time you have to start yeah <laughs> to think about you know it's going to take to change it, it takes a lot yeah well well said and on that I always like figuring out, clients might not tell you this, but maybe from your own personal experience, if you had one of these, uh, do you know Joe Dispenza? I do not. He's, I always bring him up because he's sort of the forefront in bridging quantum mechanics and biology. He, he bridges mysticism with quantum mechanics. So he has a very in-depth meditative process, but he's kind of the guy who figured out uh, embodied change on on a very specific meditative ripple into your life and all other aspects so he always says that he works in sort of the electromagnetic range uh, in the emotional territory but uh, bridges it into the biochemical into the physical body and his thing is whenever you decide to make a change the like amplitude of the decision you make in the electromagnetic field has to be much greater than it has to override all of your prior conditioning. So it has to be a huge, like you should be able to remember 
the moment you decided to make that change and remember the feeling of the sort of electromagnetic power of that. And usually people only do that when they're in a desperate state. So his whole thing is getting people to consciously do that and be able to do it every day in their normal state, which is very difficult because usually people only feel that that power, sort of the energy coursing through them when they're in a very um, non-default mode network state. Either you're, you just had something horrible happen, like a family sickness, or you know a doctor just told you something. Uh, something had to trigger it for you to be able to make that decision. But for yourself or any of your clients, what have you used to make your biggest lifestyle changes? Um, other than the, like I said, the reflection, um, yeah. it's really about intuition for me. I like to allow them the options. So if we are working on, for example, a physical ailment or a mental uh, stressor in life, um, like a job change or something like that. We have different tools that I lay down in front of you, right? And everyone's different. So I always say, I'm not going to tell you which tool you're going to use. I'm going to give you these tools and for the next week before we talk again, I want you to to look at them. I want you to, you know, we discuss, you know, the different aspects of each, you know, each thing that we're talking about. And of course, they can always call me, text me, email me if they have questions about them. But for one week, they just look at these things and they say, okay, I could go this route or I could go this route. And then they come back to me a week later and they have a choice. And I say, okay. Now, for the next week or two, we're going to utilize that choice. If it doesn't work, we still have four more tools that I gave you that we can go back into. But it's all about intuition because for me, I've always told my clients, after a few sessions, if if you need me on a weekly basis, I didn't do my job. Like, I think you should only be able to, you know, I'll see you for a week for about 12 weeks and that's our program, our general program. But after that, couple of months i'll check in on you we'll you know get another session going but like i'm building tools for you to keep in your tool belt because i want you to be able to make those choices yourself so when you come to me and like what should i be doing well i I don't know you know what was what was your eating habits like that's the problem we're trying to you know like when you're 10 like one of the things that we uh, discovered on one of my clients was that she she's a a cereal eater she loves cereal and just through random conversation it turned out that she would always go to her mom's house and have cereal with her mom on a specific day for a specific you know and it was because she didn't get to you know see her all the time and stuff so it became a special thing same thing for me i love to cook it's because one of the only good memories I have of my childhood like my entire childhood is being able to cook with my mom and my grandma and so I love cooking and so like being able to allow them to look at a a menu essentially of tools and allow their intuition and their instincts to take over you don't need to know all the specifics yet you read it and if it speaks to your soul you pick that one and then we'll decide 
how it's going to work out in your life and how we're going to put it in your routine. Um, because rituals and routines are our big thing. Like is my big thing. If, if you tell me you can't sleep, I'm going to ask you what you're doing for the couple hours before you go to bed and the couple hours you do when you wake up, like straight. Like, and if you can't tell me an exact answer, there's your problem. Like I can tell you that, like that's, it's, and that's backed by so much science. Like you have to have a routine to, and it's not just the, the going to sleep routine. It's the waking up routine. That's also important. And so, I mean, those are the kind of the things that we work on. It's just mostly getting them involved in it and not allowing us to take over as like, you know, the expert, because like you said, everyone's different. And I, I might be considered an expert in some fields, but I'm not an expert on you. I'm not an expert on every single one of my clients because I haven't known them long enough to be experts on them. Are there pillars or tenants of your programs that you hit with everyone and then focus on what the individual might get a little more of? But do you have like a uh, like a nutrition pillar or is it completely customized what for what each client comes to you, or do you have certain tenants that uh, you broad stroke with every one of them honing on what that specific person needs more of? Um, we have we work off of a triad: body, mind, and lifestyle. Um, so they are very broad, and then they're, they're you know cut down specific to what a person needs. So the body obviously is going to work on your movements; it's going to work on your nutrition. The mind's going to work on your skill sets because um, another thing that we've really noticed is that a lot of people, they stop learning. Like they get stagnant in their life because they're like, well, I have this job. I've had it for 10 years. I know what I'm doing. Okay, well, have you played chess before? No. Well, go learn to play chess. Why do I need to do that? Because you don't know how to play chess. It's, it's not about the – everyone's so focused nowadays with how is this going to help me? How is this going to make me money? How is it going to help my job that they don't learn random new skills and random new skills, even if you will never use them in your, your day job, can help your brain function over the course of your life. And we're talking longevity. And then your lifestyle is, of course, mostly relationships. We work a lot about on people's relationships and their connection to the outside world um, that is around them. And we try to focus on essentially if you can imagine a triangle with body, mind and, and lifestyle is you are a dot in the middle of that triangle and you don't want to go too far into any of them because then you're going to start getting lost and into the other it's like a magnetic field. It should be as close to the center as possible because if you start focusing too much on your, your body you know, the physical aspects, you're going to start getting too much of an ego, you know, oh man, my biceps look real good. And then all of a sudden your relationship, your lifestyle is going to go downhill because people are going to be like, man, that guy is kind of, mm, he's kind of a douchebag <laughs> or, you know, in relationships, you're going to start to heal or you focus so much on your nutrition that again, your relationships are good because you won't go and, you know, you won't even go out and be near someone who's eating a french fry because i've actually been around people like that i'm not gonna eat the french fry i don't care if you eat the french fry it's your choice but i've actually been around 
like bodybuilders who literally just won't go out and be around it because then they start to judge people and then their relationships go down and their mental capacity goes down because then the ego takes over. When the ego takes over, your entire mental state begins to start to deteriorate. And we try to we try to work to get rid of the ego as much as possible um, because it's it's a detriment, in my opinion, to the mental state. Um, where people tend to put pride and ego in the same bucket, I don't. Um, so I take a lot of pride in things I do, but doesn't mean it's because of my ego. So the triad is probably our, our biggest pillar, I would guess. That's a great way to look at that. Yeah, everyone has their own framework or um, things they rely on. And the, I'm looking at your Facebook profile right now, which is good. Do you do still do yoga in the park every Saturday? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's great. Great. I've never been good at yoga, and I don't know if it's because I've never found a specific practice or type that is the sweet spot for me. Part of me, like I always lose track of my breath, uh, usually because it's either moving too quickly and it's not truly a beginner class, and I'm probably still a beginner, but it feels like it usually turns into a resistance training, like an isometric resistance training mm. workout for me where I'm just like decimated for three days because I never hold things that long because I used a traditional uh, either like CrossFit or HIT or just general uh, running a little more non-holding uh, protocols. And the yin classes, I just get bored. <laughs> so I haven't found a specific good uh one that works well for me, but the, the results I see with everyone else are, are fantastic. So what have you noticed for yourself in, in martial arts and in, in yoga? Because they're kind of just one step away from each other. I guess just one's a little more combative other than that. Yeah. I do jujitsu. It's actually supposed to be the gentle art. It doesn't feel gentle after I'm done. But, um, <laughs> the big thing with yoga that I noticed for myself anyway, is that you'll go through stages. Um, I came to yoga through more intensity. So like, like you're talking about, like that's what you usually do for your other stuff, right? So power yoga would be something that you'll want to, to do. You know, you might want to try and exclusively power yoga for a couple of months, probably until eventually you're just tired and you're like, you know what? I'm just, I just feel like I want to do a lighter one and then do a slow flow vinyasa and then do that for a couple of weeks and then start to notice the breath and then go into the yin. And that's people that are doing yin yoga. They're pretty much about yogis at that point, because like you said, it's, it, to me, it wasn't boring for me. I was still in such a mental mess that it was very difficult for me to sit silent with myself because I had so much going on in my head that I couldn't let it go. And yin is all about letting go. It's about letting go of boredom. It's about letting go of the frustration. It's about letting go of literally everything. And you mentioned, you know, talking about that, uh, that guy about knowing the exact moment in which 
you know, a realization comes or something like that, right? I know exactly when I became a yogi. And that it didn't, it didn't come, unfortunately, if I could, you know, like you said, the training is more about uh, consciously doing that. Yeah. It's not conscious for me. I was in a yin, I was in a yin class. I was in dragon pose. And I literally just started crying. And at that point, I was like, yep, yoga is what I need. Like, because I, I spent so much of my life hiding my emotions. And then I literally just was crying. I had no reason to cry. Like, obviously, I was just in a yin yoga class. And, like, luckily, I was doing a yin yoga video and not in a class. But, uh, you know. And so, for me, it's all about steps. You know, you, you start where you are and then you go downhill. I would recommend looking at uh, Travis Elliott if you're looking for power yoga, by the way. Um, in martial arts, that's actually also very much yin, but with a little power yoga in it if you want to look at it that way. I've been trying to figure out which discipline, because martial arts has been something that's been nagging tagging me this entire year. So I've never had a defensive training. So I have plenty of physical movement practices that I overdo it with and run into adrenal fatigue pretty quickly. But I have always had a lack of uh, masculine discipline in my life just because I didn't grow up with a father. So I've never had any real compatible discipline training. And I have some interesting joint issues. Like my knees tweak very easily if I'm not careful. Like I had, I had to stop running whenever I was in my uh, late teens, and early 20s. And now I can do it again because I changed my footwear running style, but these still are a little touchy as well as my shoulders. I didn't pinch my left shoulder twice. So what would you say for someone who wanted to get into a defensive martial art? And I guess they're all kind of defensive, but more like focused on actual like combat arts that wouldn't put so much torque on those specific areas. Maybe the, the little more gentle, if that's a thing, of the martial arts. Um, I would actually still suggest probably jujitsu. I would not suggest judo. It is terrible on your body. <laughs> um, and Muay Thai is yeah. just going to run you into the ground even more. I yeah. mean, it's the energy level and the impact of the bags and, and things like that. Are, um, and then, I mean, karate, probably, uh, if you want it more for the mental aspect yeah. rather than the physical aspect. I've done Tai uh, Chi and Qigong. I love the movie yeah. meditation aspect, but I didn't feel like it was bad of enough. Even though I guess you can go into Pakwa and a couple other things that kind of lend into using the forms for actual defense. But uh, yeah, BJ, BJJ is what a lot of people have said. They're like, yeah, probably be better off with that one, Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely do that. I mean, it obviously is very dependent upon the gym that you go to um, and the instructors. But if you get a good gym, the thing about the, I have, we have eight black belts in my facility actually, which is very uncommon, but our head instructor, I think is close to 60. We have one black belt who is, I believe over 70. I mean, we have, and these people are practicing and, they walk in looking like a 70 year old and you start rolling with them. And I don't look like a 34 year old. I look like a child. Yeah. And it's one of those things. And, but the thing 
that the point I guess I was making with that is that these people have been around the block. They have injuries. They have these things. And it's so it's all about mutual respect. And one of the big things that they always taught us before we even started move is you're responsible to protect yourself and to respect or protect yourself and protect your your training partner. So if I'm putting you in an Americana and I just go super fast and snap your shoulder, like that's on me because I'm being rough. It's too much. You're just training. You're just learning. You're just having fun. But it's also up to you is if I put you in Americana and I'm going slow, I'm making sure I'm not hurting you, but you're like, eh, it's not so bad. And then all of a sudden you're way back here and your elbow snaps. Well, that's, that's on you. So it's uh, basically we, we learn this, the, the tap early and often method, you know, like it's not worth like if once he hooks up and he's, he's tight, I'm like, Nope, we're good. And that's pretty much how we do it. Cause I have, a, I also have a very bum right shoulder that I, once someone gets even close to it, I'm like, yep, yeah, we're good. Let's just, here we go. Because I, I'm at a point in my life I can't afford to have injuries like that. Like right. I don't want to be out because the more injuries you accumulate, the worse off your longevity gets. Mm-hmm. And we all know that. And now that I have a son and I have a family that I want to be around for and I have connections, my big focus is longevity. I yeah. want to be around and not only be around, but be present and be available to the people in my life as I age. So if there's anything that's going to get in the way of that, it doesn't serve me, and it's time to get rid of it. Right. Yeah, well said. I will take that in consideration. Try to find a good jiu-jitsu gem. I'm just curious about... I've recently gotten into the water world in the last year, and no one talks about it. Do you have any, do you chat about it with clients at all? Like hydration levels or um, is that part of any of like intake or discussion at all? Um, not generally. I do always ask how much water people yeah. are taking in. And as a personal trainer, the common the common number I get is not enough. Um, <laughs> I hated that response. Um, but generally speaking, I don't talk a whole lot about hydration in terms of, I always just ask if you're drinking other things other than water, then you probably need to drink more water because a lot of times people will grab a soda or even if it's, you know, something considered healthy, they're drinking instead of water. Right. So I, I always, that's how I always ask, like, what else are you drinking other than water? Oh, well, I drink some tea. I drink a couple of cups of coffee. I'm okay. Well, for every cup of coffee and for every glass of tea, you probably need to drink that much more water. Um, but other than that, another thing is sodium. I always yeah. make sure that people are like, uh, we had this sodium scare for so, you know, for so long that, yeah. you know, they put, if you're going to go, if you're going to start drinking a gallon of just plain tap water, after not drinking water, <laughs> like ever in your entire life, 
bare minimum, you need to be putting some more sodium oh, yeah. in your day. For sure. And and that's what people aren't seeing. And so they're just flushing everything out and it's yeah. not really doing what it's supposed like the water's not helping at that point. It's actually hindering. Very good point. Yeah. Tap well, yeah. I said please don't because tap water is almost doing more harm than good. I lived I just went home to New Hampshire and uh since I've been in the water world, I just pull tap water reports all the time. And this town has a fantastic little to New Hampshire, an hour south of Canada, uh, right next to Vermont. 6,000 people, really good private municipality that manages uh, water and electricity. And I, I thought the water was actually going to be better because I have a great memory of it tasting fantastic, even though it was heavily chlorinated whenever I was a kid. Um, and I looked it up and it, it wasn't bad compared to like Asheville, North Carolina or most major cities, but it wasn't great. Like there was hexavalent chromium, there was like seven contaminants that were like 10x they're all carcinogenic off the charts so um yeah i encourage people to not drink tap water and do some sort of filtration like there's a number of different filtration methods but i always ask and i'm so glad you brought up the sodium yeah electrolytes are critical to hydration so if people are going to increase their water intake if you're stripping minerals out like uh the filter i use keeps them in thankfully but sodium is is so critical. Like even before workout now, I'll just do Dr. James DeNecco Antonio's method and just take a teaspoon of salt, like Redmond Real Salt or something like Himalayan or Celtic, whatever, something that's not just like straight white iodized. Teaspoon of salt prior to a workout changes everything. Like your, your muscle contractions fire for so much longer if you're properly electrolyted up. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and another thing with that is the way that your body's going to start receiving water-soluble vitamins. Right. Like, because again, if you're taking stripped water away, and it's just taking and it's flushing out of your system. So when you're taking in water-soluble vitamins, whether it be an actual vitamin or through your food, you're actually not absorbing as much as you may think. And so, I mean, so that impacts even your food. And that's just assuming you're also eating healthy enough right. to get the right amount of vitamins. So even if you're eating properly, you may still not be getting these, the amount of vitamins that you think you are. So, Yeah, and anti-nutrients are a thing, which is primal curriculum. And way of eating does an overly fantastic job. And I almost have to shy away from telling people about anti-nutrients because it makes food a little more complex. Like, hey, the things you think you're getting, the vitamins and minerals might not be actually bioavailable because the plants don't want them to be or um, certain types of food groups like beans are a high one or grains in the primal blueprint. So that conversation is always interesting. But yeah, there are so many variables in the nutrition world to actually get in like a full micronutrient profile that it can be overwhelming sometimes, but yeah, especially if someone's coming off of processed food, standard American diet stuff. Yeah. Just swapping some more whole foods and probably drinking a little more water will make night and day changes to mood, energy, hunger, cravings, libido. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing with whenever you start working with baseline clients, I mean, yes. Yeah. You have to start somewhere. You can't yes. overwhelm yeah. people because they, they just, it's just not a, not a good idea, obviously. Um, but even 
when you start getting really advanced, it really just depends on what you want it for. Like if, if you're a professional, you know, bodybuilder or professional, I, I don't know, whatever athlete of any kind or something like that, you're going to start getting way more specific to those kinds yeah. of things. But a lot of times, like for me, it's all about longevity, but I know I'm not going to live to 150. I hope I could. That'd be great. But it, I know that sometimes I'm going to screw up. I'm not perfect. Even in my diet, I am a lot better than I ever used to be. Uh, I used to be the 70-30 guy. Then yeah. I went to 80-20 guy. Yeah. And now I'm probably like a 90-10, but that's just mostly off of like, you know, special occasions yeah. kind of thing. And like, it just happens. Uh, but like, generally speaking, it's just in my life now. And it's it's difficult, but it, it's not that weird. And I think it's because there's this there's this misconception that people will get judged, right? And that's the ego. People don't like to be judged. And I actually started that way because I thought my wife would think mm -hmm. I was some crazy, like, person. Like, and she one day looked at me, she's like, you know, I don't, I don't care what you do. Like, I can't get her to do anything. <laughs> like, she's gonna live her life. I mean, unfortunately, that that's one client I will never, never, right. never convert. <laughs> but, but like, she's like, if you wanna do this or that, like, do do your thing. And that, like, we hardly even eat together. Like, we don't like we still spend time together and stuff like that. But it's we have this thing where we've always centered everything around food in America, mm -hmm. especially. And while that's kind of been a thing since ancient times, it was more out of necessity then than it is now. Now I think it's just more out of like, okay, you're eating this, so I'm going to eat it too. And where then it was more, you know, tradition, it was more, you know, survival. And now it's more just peer pressure, essentially. Yeah. Like I can go somewhere, they'd have a plate of cookies and I don't, I went from wanting the cookie, so I just stayed away from the party, to being able to be at the party and not want the cookie. And people will be like, eat the cookie. Like, no, no, thank you. And then they're like, why aren't you eating cookies? To now, same people, they literally just don't ask if one cookie right. they know. <laughs> right? And it's, they're still my friends. They're still the same people, same parties. <laughs> but it's awkward at first, things, but what you'll realize is the people that are still there, those are the, the tribe that you need to surround yourself with. And the people who aren't there anymore because they think you're weird, well, I mean, it is what it is. Because the people in your life are going to really cultivate who you're going to be, right? And you, so you have to you have to make those hard decisions. And it's all it's hard, right? Because we we're given our, our friends in school, right? You have right. your classmates and things like that. But as an adult, I'm very, I can't make friends as an adult. I don't have a job. <laughs> I don't like, like all these things are just like packed up against me. So I'm like, I have a very small knit of friends and it's okay because they all know exactly who I am. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to, you know, and in school it's hard because you're trying to impress everybody. So by the time you become adults, if they're still your friends, they have no idea who you are. 
right? right? Because not only are you actually changing biologically and, you know, mentally and emotionally, but you're, you're changing to their perspective or, you know, their, their perspective as well. Like, you know, when you're in sixth grade, you know, somebody in seventh grade, what you did in sixth grade is not cool anymore. So all of a sudden you can't do that anymore, but even though you really still like it. <laughs> yep. And so it, it's just one of those things. And so it all really boils down to the people that you spend time with and what you're able to, how you're able to be true to yourself. Yeah. But if, as long as you're able to have the fullest expression of yourself around the people that you hang out with. Yeah. I think that by itself is a huge aspect of, even mental health, like having to hide pieces of yourself for fear of judgment or repercussion or loss of um, perceived likability or things like that play a big role in in people not making certain changes. Definitely like the, there's a very, well, yeah, I had the same thing happen that you had with uh, dietary changes whenever you're out in the social setting. And I finally learned that it's just like, confidence and boundaries like if you're just like no i'm good like they'll back off real fast if you're just fine with saying no <laughs> but it's whenever you're a little shaky and you're you're just getting into it and you don't really um still call it kind of tied to your identity almost um where food is kind of should just be a I think the attachment to identity for nutrition is a big part of why people get stuck. And like you said, it has a lot coming from childhood. There's a lot of, that's why I've started um, harping about water so much is there's not a lot of baggage around hydration and water because most people don't even think about it. And they don't have a lot of nostalgia or usually there wasn't a defining moment when they were a kid. So it's kind of just fertile ground for, immediate removal of toxicity and change nutrition has so much food choices have so much comfort so much um soothing during the adolescent period that there's a lot buried there in the neurology stored almost and water usually doesn't have that and it can have some pretty interesting effects so yeah i've, I've started transitioning a little bit to that very strange with the have you noticed any sources for like toxic overload i don't know if that's in your world at all but have you noticed people saying or in, in your own family just um, removing certain things and having like instant or almost um way too way too dramatic changes in in energy or mood by cutting out something um the toxin on the toxin level it's definitely something new to me i'm still i'm kind of like getting into more of like the nitty-gritty of that mm. kind of thing myself so it's not really something that i've experienced myself and no one in my i'm usually the uh, the person that begins things in yeah like so uh, i don't really have any experience in that in that regard um as far as like on more of like a a larger level mm. um definitely doing things like um the elimination diets and stuff like that have you know you start to to notice those kinds of changes and i've had people do things where like they'll cut out like dairy for example and all of a sudden they don't have sinus issues anymore like yeah mucus disappears like that yeah. right and so um but as far as toxins no i don't really have too much experience in there. that's kind of what i meant just the general scale um inflammation or toxicity and just 
things where people actually notice immediately. Like you said, so if someone cuts out grains, they might notice like, I don't feel bloated or I have more energy or things that actually make, uh, move the needle. And that like, I'm very conscious of my body, but because I've had to be, because since I turned like 26, I'm just the textbook example of what something does to the human body. Like caffeine will jack my nervous system up. Literally any pharmacologically active compound found in food will have the desired or opposite effect, but I will feel it. Like I can feel curcumin hit me if I do tea. It's very strange, but um, so I'm usually the, the barometer for if something is inflammatory or not, but other people don't have that. Like they can, I would consider that more of a normal societal normal, like um, their bodies can take a little more beating without them noticing. Uh, and whatever moves their barometer, I'm always interested in. And that might be you and you and your family where if someone's like, oh yeah, I just, like you said, dairy. And even in the dairy world, like I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, there's now a prevalence of A2 casein. So that's the old world cow, less inflammatory, uh, milk protein and uh, raw. So it has the bacteria and then it's unnecessary to process it. They can't market it as such, but there is a good amount of it. And the amount of people who thought they were lactose intolerant, who were actually just A1 casein intolerant is remarkable. So they can do a raw A2 old world cow milk and it might still be causing an inflammatory response, but they don't notice it. Kind of like uh, gluten. Like I'm very gluten sensitive. Um, I can eat it, but it doesn't end well. Like I will feel an immediate energy dump. Um, but a lot of people, if they do like an heirloom Italian pasta, because they are wheat changed around the 1950s, whenever we um, needed to increase yields, we changed to dwarf wheat, just a a higher yield producing type of wheat and faster as well, or more drought tolerant as agriculture does, doesn't necessarily work in the favor of longevity and health, but that changed the structure of gluten and it has a little more gliadin, the amino acid in it, which is actually what our small intestines can't readily handle. And that's what causes a lot of leaky gut and intestinal permeability. The heirloom Italian stuff doesn't have that change. They didn't change. So people will have, they'll go to Italy and be like, I ate like crap and I felt fine. <laughs> like, there's just some things that make like very large brushstrokes for people. And I didn't know if, uh, uh, if you had any of those specific ones where you notice one specific thing, maybe after an elimination diet, you're like this, these top three things is like, yo, yo, my entire experience of food and energy. Now, generally dairy seems to be the biggest one that I've come across on a completely 180 of that, me personally, I feel like I have done elimination diets and I've done like pretty much everything I can do and nothing seems to, to affect me at all or make change. So like, oh man, I feel very inflamed. So like I do, you know, 100%, you know, inflammation diets and, you know, and I, anti-inflammation diets yeah. like that and nothing no that change do, you know all the the physical things that i'm supposed to do all the mental things all the sleep all and i'm like okay this is great and then you know i realized that much like you were saying except for not my 26 my 30s have yeah. not treated me well and you know it's one of those things that you you want to you keep pushing and then sometimes the choices that you made 
when you were younger start to and even your you know your genetic makeup mm-hmm. still unfortunately still comes back and so it, that's why these things are even more important because i start to look at some of the things that you know some of the issues that i'm dealing with and i'm like if i didn't have these healthy you know aspects of my life set now where would i be you know like i'd probably be in a hospital but i'm i'm fine it's it's what most people live with but like i want better you know like when i think about like when i don't drink you know my water and if i don't get my hydration and i don't do my movement i can see my fingers they feel swollen like little sausages. I'm like, this is how people live their life. Yeah, in pain. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I just... And and so, like, I can't do that. And so, like, I always reflect back, like, okay, I'm still dealing with issues, but if I didn't have this in my life, I would be so much worse off. And that's just another one of those things that you tell people, and you're like, that's why you need to start now, just because you... You think you're okay doesn't you're not optimally living you're just living even optimally i would say and i have this happen all the time so no judgment for my end but you don't really know what you're running at until you find a baseline like i started doing back in the winter a um it was a russian decomp de- uh, decompression exercise called privilo and you basically get tied up by four corners onto a wooden machine with weights and it lifts you up and puts you in traction. So it's mildly pulling all of your four joint extremities. And if you can actually trust that it's holding you, your nervous system can slip deeply into parasympathetic, almost like lying in a breath work, like being just lying down and doing a mild belly breathing breath work where your nervous system will just calm way, way down. And then from that baseline, you can actually see what you're running at in your day to day. And it wasn't until I started doing breath work and that in combination, my diet's very anti-inflammatory um, to begin with. So that usually doesn't add a whole bunch of um, compounding variables on top of it. I was probably running at like 80% stress most days. So it's actually hard uh, since I have that perception now to stay <laughs> below 50%, like just daily chronic stress levels and i do like probably more things than most people would like this has molecular hydrogen in it which is a potent uh anti-inflammatory antioxidant and then all of the different slew of uh, antioxidant foods and everything like that just because i know what that baseline feels like but i don't think most people do i think most people are just running with like 70% 70% chronic inflammation and stress all the time. And it feels normal. And yeah. the human body is incredibly resilient. Like the amount of beating it can take on a, like an emotional, mental, and physical level just to get people th- through their day is amazing. Well, it's always yeah, incredible. I mean, this body was built to literally survive. Yeah. It wasn't even built to, to thrive. It was built to survive. And it, that does it very well and that's the scary part is that we don't we treat it like we treat it like trash i mean most people do i mean and that's sad and but to your point yeah i mean what's the problem is that these things are happening younger and younger and in different ways so even when we're trying to help 
the next generation by you know all these methods not not the science not like people like us but like you know who are the people you you go to first for any type of help your friends your family and you know what did they experience okay but what my my grandfather experienced in terms of stress the type of stress mm -hmm. the amount of stress is going to be completely different so how he handled it if he then handled it well and then we have to go back to well are you are you self-reflecting well enough to know that you actually did or didn't handle the stress well right because some people they're like yeah i handle my stress great do you do you <laughs> and so like they have methods but they're not going to work for the next generation because it's a whole different type of stress. Yeah. The people in the, in the fifties, they literally physically worked their hands to the bones and they were physically stressed to yeah. the point of body breakdown. We're not like that. anymore. Our stress is almost exclusively mental at this point. I mean, the only physical stress we even put on ourselves is the lack of physical stress we put ourselves through, you know, and to the point where we have to have recommendations for exercise. I mean, you have to be like, you have to go to the gym and do some push-ups or something like, right. And like, and there's always going to be an optimal thing to do physically um, to get to a different goal. But if you're just talking about general health and wellness, this is the easiest thing in the world. You need nothing. You you need a I mean you could do it in a cell right <laughs> I mean obviously like a jail cell like people get fit in jail cells all the time right like you need no space you need no equipment it's super simple but we have to have all this fancy stuff mm -hmm. to entice people just to move yeah. and and again it's that's the kind of stress that we're we're one eighty and we're just constantly in a stress level I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day. Cause she's one of those people. She's like, oh, I just, you know, every time I, I, I feel like I get into like this depressive mood anytime mm -hmm. I slow down because I'm just not used to slowing down. I was like, because you're in fire or flight mode, literally 90 yeah. addicted to stress chemicals, literally right? addicted like to them. We, we don't get enough time at home together because by the time she gets home and she's able to unwind, She's so physically and mentally drained that she's in bed. Yeah. Because she's so stressed the entire day. And we're not designed for acute, like, we're, we're not, we're designed for acute stresses. Right. We're not, not chronic. designed for chronic stress. And we just continuously put ourselves through it. And like you said, our body's resilient. I mean, it's going to keep, and maybe, you know, if, if the next generation, well, not the next generation, generations you know years from now might be lucky enough to where we hit another evolutionary you know path that we can handle it better but i, I would imagine the earth will be exploded by then <laughs> what tools do you use to regulate your nervous system what do you have uh, journaling meditation are the big ones yoga mm -hmm. is the next one and nature is my big um i have to get out even like when i lived in north carolina it was great uh because i could you're in Asheville, so you know uh, you still have seasons where i lived yes. uh, in raleigh we didn't really have seasons but literally went outside whenever i wanted 
it was great. But here in Michigan, it's not quite like that. But even in Michigan, with four foot of snow outside, I will go outside without shoes on. I will find the dirt <laughs> and I will put my feet in it and I will touch the leaves. I'll touch the trees and like, because I know it, it just grounds me and not only mentally, but physically and more people were getting more disconnected from yeah. some nature. And so people don't even see the value in it. And we're in such an instant gratification world that those kinds of tools, meditation, you know, earth grounding and, and being in nature and sometimes even journaling, they're, they're not quick fixes, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's hard to convince people to be able to do that. Um, I try to convince a, a client that, you know, artificial sugar might have been an issue uh, for her sleep. And she's like, okay. Two days later, she's like, well, I mean, I didn't sleep any better whenever I didn't do it that one day. So I'm like, oh, oh, well, I mean, if you did it for one day. One day? <laughs> Are you kidding me? You've been eating artificial sugar since the day you popped out of the womb, probably. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like, it's in you. Like, you have to be able to let it go. And it's hard for people to do that. So when it comes to being able to let go of, of stress and, and regulating the nervous system, it's all about slowing down, mm. like whatever you can do to slow down. And that kind of goes back to our triad uh, to me when it comes to who you are and where you are. It's about trying to stay in the middle, right? And sometimes that does mean just being okay with moving the needle a little bit, you know, further away from something. So for example, I had, um, sometimes you have that unhealthy habit that calms your mind so much. Well, until we can break that bad habit that will calm your mind and replace it with something else, I would rather you do that bad habit right now and not have, because if, not doing it, it's going to stress you out. <laughs> and we're what we're going to do then is we're going to work on fixing that habit, replacing it with a new habit and getting, you know, in there. But a lot of times you have to stay in, you know, you have to stay in the middle of that triangle because if, if you're like, oh, well, that's a terrible thing. Don't do that. Then you're just, yeah. you, you know, and mentally they're gone. And then you're probably not going to get them to change anything. So it's all about baby steps depending on where you are. But smoking and vaping, I think, for most people, I yeah, most adults. I, so. I mean, I talked to a friend that I, I um, used to work with, and he had quit for so long, but just maybe six, eight months, and then like his life just erupted. And that was the thing that would calm his nervous system down, give him some sort of soothing. And I didn't say anything negative whenever he started because, right, the cascade that would have happened had he not been able to regulate his nervous system during everything else that was going on would have been far, far worse. Yeah. But that's yeah. a hard one to replace because there's a there's a sort of gesture involved. There's a 
people do that motion so many times a day, it's hard to replace that with anything that's even yeah, remotely. They similar. try to replace it with vaping, right? That's the, right, that was the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. It's whenever you're trying to look at long term changes, it does seem like most of the time the the tools that you're going to have at your disposal are going to be things that are not going to be instant gratification and it's hard to get people to to see the value in those and so so to keep keep working and keep putting out the knowledge and hope that people start to see it when they see it so do you so you mentioned yoga and meditation do you do or focus on any specific types of breath work that aren't ingrained into those like you'll probably have different types of breathing for each form of yoga and do you do different types of meditation? Um, I do. Uh, mostly I, I just do silent meditation now, uh, but that's because I've been meditating for so long that it doesn't yeah. bother me and I like it. Uh, but before it was more um, like imagery. So yeah. a lot of times you can start with looking at a candle flame, for example. And then once a, a progression for that is to actually have the candle flame, but then shut your eyes and imagine the candle flame. And then eventually you'll take the candle flame away completely, but then imagine the candle flame in your in your mind and things like that. So it's really all about that focus. Um, another one that I like to do for meditation is um, wow, just lost the train of thought on, on what it's called. Um, Breathwork and meditation is yeah, right. Uh, just mostly like projection. Essentially, mm -hmm. it's like putting yourself in. The place that you want to be so mm. one of the the things that we that i like to do is for people to imagine their their perfect place essentially and for me it's a it's a small desert cabin in the arizona desert mm. and just me and a little cabin and a fire pit and my twin wolf spirit animals mm. that are just hanging out and like you're literally just there enjoying your time and you know so imagine whatever that place looks like and, and you're just there and all you've got to do is is be there and then as far as breath work it all really depends on what time of day it is yeah. what i'm doing and things like that and like you said yeah i mean depending on if i'm actually doing the activity like yoga web specific stuff like there's you know breath of fire there's lion's breath there's things like that but a lot of times when it comes to like basic it's uh, square breathing going to be your best bet four breaths in hold for four four breaths out hold for four four breaths in and what that does is give a direction essentially to your breath because when people are like well just focus on your breath well thoughts are going to come you know and they're you're never going to get rid of them uh, but they're a lot easier to take you places if you're not also focusing on something else so what I like to do is literally imagine a box and I will go up for four. When I inhale, I go over to hold and then I go down to exhale and I go back over to hold. And I actually do that in my mind and it gives an, an image yeah. and to my breath. And it's a lot easier not to lose my, myself and, and my thoughts and stuff like that. And so and then another one would be my my cloud in the sky scenario where 
you don't fight thoughts at all. You actually want them to come. Mm-hmm. And you imagine them as clouds in the sky. And as they come, you just watch them as they go, and then they leave. Because one of the teachings in, in yoga practice is the clouds are our thoughts, but we are the sky. We're constant, but our our thoughts will come and go. And that's one of the big ones that I like to do. Training to be the witness or the observer instead of the identifying with the thought. That's a good one. So I, I want, before I forget, I'm uh, still on your Facebook. You have a shirt on that's fantastic. And I think it's one of the sayings associated with your business. Peace, peace through chaos. That's yeah. a great one. I love that so much. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually like my, my tagline. It's really like my whole thing is life's chaotic, you know, and that's, it is what it is. Like we're not going to be able to make that go away. So if we could just find a little bit of peace in our everyday, that's, that's a win. Yeah. 100%. Do you find that training the body in such uh, potentially extreme circumstances as martial arts or as peaceful and in touch circumstances as yoga, do you find that you're, you can find peace and stillness because you have that polar, that polarity of extreme movement and, and being in the body? Um, yes and no. Kind of going back to what you said before is yoga and martial arts are really just a step away from yeah. each other. Um, what I've found is that both practices, even though one is using the body a little bit more intensely, that it's just the the yang of the yin. So mm-hmm. yoga is your yin. Really, no matter what type of yoga you're right. doing, it's still all about calming the mind, getting you know out of your body and things like that. And then martial arts is mostly physical, but if you can then get out of that, if you can then just roll, and that's one of the things that we think last all time, just roll. Don't think, just roll. Because we have, you have technique, and then you have open role. So learn what you can learn, just like you're in a classroom setting, right? But when you get to open role, don't think about it. Because when you start thinking about it, it's too late. So you got to keep, just keep rolling, just keep moving. And so I find that both of them are very complementary because that's pretty much what yoga is. They say, if you have the breath, you have the yoga. So find your breath. It doesn't matter what your body's doing. I mean, a lot of, like, in yoga, technically, yoga is not even an exercise. Right. The, the word yoga means union, and it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Asana is what people are doing. Asana means pose. And that's actually what the class of yoga is. And so it's not about the pose it's not about the pose it's about the yoga and so if i'm over here and i'm supposed to be in down dog and i'm supposed to be looking like this and my arms hurt so i drop my knees and i go down to child's pose instead i'm still doing yoga right right and the same thing in martial arts like if i'm going for rear naked and he rolls out of it but i'm able to continue to flow and not think about it, be able to get my legs across and be able to get back in the guard, I'm safe. 
because that's all of both both things, both modalities are, are looking for. It's all about being safe. You're protecting yourself physically in martial arts, and you're protecting yourself mentally in yoga. Mm. And that's how I look at it. That was perfect. Yep, I love that. All right, I need to sign up. Let's <laughs> talk about it. Just do it. Mic drop. Yeah, seriously. Uh, okay, that was great. Um, what's your biggest from all of your experiences with with clients? What's the like massive? If you could generalize to someone for a preventative measure before desperation hit, for something that they should change. Is there a single, maybe just look into this area that you would recommend for people who know that they need some sort of lifestyle change in any one of those modalities of your triad? Self-love. Because I think it connects to all of it. I actually listened to a podcast the other day. I'll have to get the name of it and I'll get it to you. But she was talking about how, you know, depending on what movement you're you're talking about, like the body shaming and, the, you know, or the love your body as it is kind of thing. And how it's so hurtful because it's not that we don't love ourselves as fitness you know, enthusiasts or whatever. It's about the fact that you should love yourself enough to want to do the right thing for it and we we're not using love as a verb when it comes to ourselves how do you show love to your spouse you know you give her gifts you take her out on date nights you do all these things to show her love how do you show love to yourself the only way you can use it as a verb is to take care of it right and so, and when you're taking care of it, you're taking care of it physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And so we need to start showing ourselves self-love in, as a verb, essentially. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I struggle with that myself. Most of my self-love is actually discipline-oriented and involves some sort of uh, breakdown and build up. There's there's not a lot of actual like tender caring love involved in it and that's that's been my last year so i appreciate that for sure there was one thing i happened across Do, are you doing online classes currently um not right now i don't um, yeah i'm i'm gonna eventually get on to them but i'm i'm very uh technologically challenged in those regards still a little bit so i'm I'm still trying to make a few adjustments on how I want to do it. Gotcha. I would love to take part of those online classes because I my issue is always an instructor. If I don't respect isn't quite the right word, but uh, there's a way my analytical brain has to process things, and even if it's a more non-analytic practice, like any sort of movement practice. Like my analytical brain doesn't need to be involved at all, but there's a certain way that an instructor will, this is why I like listening to Joe Dispenza, almost satisfy the like first filter of of analytics to the point where my actual creative side can listen and fully 
trust that uh, that someone's got my best interests at heart. So for me, the instructor makes all of the difference, regardless of you know, it can be the same one practice and it can be four different people. It'll just resonate with one person a little more. So that I would look forward to an online class if uh, if and when that became available for any of those. Well, while you uh, while you wait for me, I would actually. Uh, definitely recommend looking up Travis Elliott because yes, that's exactly how I was too, yeah. and he he kind of satisfies all of that. Okay. So good to know. Before I leave you, uh, what are what are your socials? How can people follow you? I'll put all your Facebook stuff up in the description. But sure. Where else? Are you? Um, if you're looking for my Warrior Monk page, it's Warrior Monk Method uh, on all. It's Instagram, Facebook, and um, my uh, my Gmail is also method at gmail.com. Strong Tribe Method is Strong Tribe Method, actually, on yeah. all of my R socials. Um, and I, I use the word method in all of my things simply because it, it really is just a way of doing a practice and finding self, you know, your, your self-mastery program and the method isn't always going to be exact uh, because everyone's different. And so that's kind of how I, I like the word method for some reason in that regard. So. Yeah, it gives the flavor of, of modality and it's not necessarily, I think it just goes with the word protocol. So like the Wim Hof method or anything like that, like it's not him, it's the practice of. Yeah, I like that. Um, anything you want to leave the audience with? Before we, before we... Um, the only thing I would say is just to to really enjoy your life the best that you can. And the best way to do that is to take care of yourself so you can actually live it. And that's just some, one thing that I've learned. Yeah, longevity is quality of life for as, as long as you can with loved ones and close connections is usually the goal so i i fully agree with that yeah top top notch quality life for as long as possible with people who you enjoy spending time with Absolutely. thanks for that